Welcome to the Outerverse Podcast, where we have discussions with artists, creators, and entrepreneurs who are leveraging the blockchain to get more people exercising, exploring, and pursuing a healthy lifestyle. I'm Robin Thurston. I'm the CEO of Outside Interactive. I'm a dad, lifelong cyclist, and a skier. And I'm a believer that Web3 technology will transform the way we inspire and enable people to get outdoors. And I want to welcome my co-host, Dahani Jones. What's going on, Robin? Um, You know, I'm a former NFL player and action sport enthusiast, an investor and an outside board member. So just glad to be here and glad to co-host with you. So happy to have you, Dahani, always. Um, Today, we're talking to Kevin Chu. Kevin is the founder of Superlayer which helps people and companies enter the Web3 space. Kevin has also launched multiple startups in the gaming and crypto space. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. And, and, and just to kick us off, you know, I was reading so much about you and so many different things that you have done. And if anybody's really looking at your background, they can see all the, the different uh, titles and places and things. But uh, what we always like to do, and we start off, our Outerverse podcast is what's something that people actually can't learn about you um, if they were internet sleuthing, if you will? Well, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Uh, If you are internet sleuthing, you might not uh, see that. um, That's a fun one. I'm an avid motorcyclist, so I like to to be outdoors uh, on a motorcycle and I'm also a skier, but uh, yeah, I've, I've had uh, four different motorcycles uh, in my life and really enjoyed them. Uh, I am a dad now as well, though, so I, <laughs> I, I just moved to a new city. So I don't have a motorcycle here yet. I had to get rid of my motorcycles before I moved, but uh, avid motorcyclist. Well, whoa, whoa, wait, wait. I, I mean, I mean, just any kind of motorcycle? Are you, are you going slow and, and low? Or are you going fast and hot? I mean, are you going across the country? Are you going through the dunes? I mean, are you are you down in Mexico or in Baja? I mean, what are you doing on this motorcycle? How fast are you going? How many wheelies have you pulled? Come on, get into it. I, well, I, I learned on a dirt bike. Uh, so I uh, learned, you know, kind of off-roading um, in – Southeast Asia. And then when I moved back to the United States, I had a sort of a pocket rocket. So one of those little sports bikes um, made by Triumph. And then I've gone through a series of Harleys. So I'm more of a cruiser now where I enjoy the Harleys. Slow and low, baby. Slow and low. low. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. Well, Kevin, that sort of brings me to my first question, which is like, um, you know, uh, tell me a little bit about like your experience growing up and your sort of first touch points with the outdoors and how, you know, certainly obviously here at outdoor, Outside, that's all we think about is like how to get people into the outdoors. And that's a lot about how you and I have been talking about the creation of, of our big Web3 initiative, the Outerverse. But tell us a little bit about your growing up and your connection to nature. I grew up in a very small rural town uh, called Ventura. And uh, <laughs> a little city called Moore Park. And uh, when I was growing up, about 10,000 people in, in the town. We weren't even considered a city. Um, apricots you know, were one of the, the big things that our town grew. And so we were always running around apricot fields and uh, as kids and just, you know, having fun building, you know, building stuff out of, you know, all the fallen trees and, and throwing the apricots at each other. So I really, <laughs> a lot of my childhood was around running around outside and, uh, and you know, just finding things in nature to kind of 
build and craft and you know we were making a lot of forts and making a lot of little slingshots with apricots you know as the <laughs> as the you know the thing we were throwing around so it's a lot of you know connection to that growing up uh that i loved um and yeah I have a great childhood memories from that and and i'd imagine that maybe one of those apricot seeds hit you on the side of the head. It, it, I mean, everybody who's ever played outside has <laughs> got either like pelted by a rock or pelted by an apricot seed. I mean, something. Yeah, and I was like, oh, Web3, it's going to be a thing. That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what about what about nowadays? Where, where are your, your, your favorite places to spend outside? And, and what makes that place or or that experience so special because, you know, nothing can be taken away from your childhood when you mm. grew up. I'm, I remember going by and hanging out by the creek bed and I used to pick up rocks and look, look for crawfish and, mm-hmm. you know, do all the crazy things that kids used to do. But now as adults, we kind of have a different type of environment that we like to participate in. So wh- what about for yourself? Yeah. Well, right now, Half Moon Bay has got a special place in, in my heart along with my family. So it's a beautiful, um, you know, coastal town. And it's known for its surfing and biking and hiking. Um, it's uh, a little bit less than an hour away from, from where I live. And so we're able to get out there um, at least a couple times a month. And so when we're there, we generally do a lot of biking and hiking right now. Um, I just bought two. I actually was telling Robin the other day that I just bought two new stump jumpers, uh, one for me and my wife. And so we're, we're trying to explore some of the dirt paths, um, you know, along the bluffs. So there's these beautiful bluffs that uh, you can ride along for almost 20 miles up and down the coast uh, along the, the one highway. And so we've been exploring a lot of the, the new trails there and going up to Pacifica and kind of riding up, you know, up there. Uh, and then I'm not a great surfer. I'm kind of a newbie, but I uh, really love getting out there with my my little foam surfboards and, and uh, trying to surf some of the small waves in Half Moon Bay. So that's, uh, that's what, what I'm what, doing outside these days. What people don't know about Half Moon Bay, if they haven't been there, is that you should actually consider the hike down to the beach a hike because it is like mm. these serious stairs that you have to like climb all the way down to no matter kind of where you're going down to the beach um, there. Yeah, and, and, and it's I, beautiful. And, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, depending on where you are along the coast, that, that hike could be, you know, 10 feet down or it could be 50 feet down. And it's just a beautiful coast with a lot of little places to explore. I will tell you this. Once you get out there surfing a couple of different times with that foam board, you know, you'll appreciate the softness of that board. Because once you go to the, the harder boards, you know, that, that's when things can be a little bit more nerve wracking. You know, it's a little bit worse than an apricot seed hitting you in the forehead, especially if you're surfing. <laughs> And I, and I, I look. I remember when that stump jumper first came out. I mean, like way back when. It's crazy was, how the technology has changed over time. It's, that's a new. That's it's, it's uh, stump jumper's been around since the very beginning. If you ask Mike Senior, it's specialized. It's one of the best. I remember the first one I picked up, and I couldn't afford it, so I put it right back. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, these are the things that you, that you go through. Say so hiking and biking any other sports i heard you might be maybe like a, a a tennis player tennis fan what do you think about nadal winning oh uh you know it's funny i actually don't watch very much tennis um what how else are you gonna <laughs> get better <laughs> we actually we're, so we have one tv in our household and i would say that it's on for less than an hour a, a week it's you know mm. we 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 as a family try to 
Yeah, we actually, you know, seriously try to be out. It, it's funny to hear this coming from somebody who's building a lot of software and Web3, but I, we, our family really loves being outside. And that's, uh, that's we, we try to spend as much time on the weekends outside and, and not in the house on screens as we can. Well, sort of switching to that, Kevin, like, you know, we, we'd love to hear about your experience about getting into the Web3 space, you know, talking a little bit about some of the other companies that you founded and just more about your background in general. So maybe we go down that path. Well, it, as you have alluded to, Robin, I, I started my entrepreneurial career building video games. So I grew up, you know, again, in this little small town. My dad was a defense contractor. So he always had doing computer science uh, programming missiles, actually. And so we always had all these different PCs. He was always bringing home PCs in different parts. And so we, I was always building PCs. And then, of course, trying to get some games to work on those PCs. So I, I just grew up loving video games in the 80s and 90s. Um, and so when I was in 26, uh, which was 2006, I started a company called Kabam. Um, and the idea behind Kabam was to build games, not just not played on your Nintendo or PlayStation or Xbox, but played in the cloud. And so we mm. basically built the video game. So instead of shipping a DVD that you go to buy, Best Buy to go buy, we basically put all that software into the cloud, and then you could, through your 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 PC uh, browser or through your your phone, play that game with a lot of other people. And so we generally made these these we call them social games, but they were generally what we called um, MMO, you know, type of games or massively multiplayer online games. And so I made uh, about fifty games over eleven years running Kabam. We grew the business to about four hundred million dollars in revenue. Uh, over 11 years and then sold it uh, to Korea's largest gaming company uh, about five years ago. And so I had a lot of fun building games and realizing my childhood dream. And the, the, the unique part about building games in 2006 in the cloud was that you didn't sell the game to consumers, right? So it wasn't as if we said, hey, come buy Madden or come buy Call of Duty and pay $60 for this game. We basically gave you the game for free because you just had to, you know, go to your web browser and navigate to a website and you can start playing the game for free and, and people play from all over the world. And, and then what we did was we say, okay, you start playing for free, but then you, let's say you want that sword or you want to upgrade, you know, your, your armor, or you want to uh, speed up the amount of time it takes to craft this thing. Uh, well, you could pay for that, right? So we, the business model was generally two to 5% of the game players would pay for a virtual item mm -hmm. in the game. And so it sounds crazy. And in 2006, it was really crazy. We pitched VCs and said, hey, you play this game for free and then you go buy the sword for $50. And people would say, why mm. would you pay $50 for this <laughs> virtual sword? Like, what, what's the value of it? Well, of course, the value was that you go, when, when, if you were playing the game for two hours a day, which some of our, our, our avid players did, you wanted to pay for the things in the game that would give you a benefit, it would give you utility, it would give you, you could use it, or it would give you status in the gaming community that you were a part of. And so if you think about, you know, spending 11 years building virtual assets, it actually was a great prelude into Web3. And so mm -hmm. today in 2022, people say, why would you pay, you know, $100 or a couple hundred dollars for that NFT? Can't you just copy paste the image or, or do this other thing? And <laughs> Like what's unique? Why would somebody pay money for this NFT or for this, you know, token? And the reality is, when there's a real community that cares about something, um, mm. and that 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 virtual asset is tied to utility and benefits that owning that asset gives you, 
then there, you know, people really start to care about it and they want to, they're willing to spend money to buy these virtual uh, things that are secured by the blockchain technology. And so building games for 11 years really enabled me to kind of see, I think, Web3 and kind of the promises of Web3 relatively early. So I started building uh, Forte, a Web3 gaming platform uh, back in 2018. And then I started <clears throat> building a project called Rally, which is focused on creators that spend all their time, you know, making podcasts or making Twitch videos or making YouTube videos or making TikTok videos and helping them to create NFTs and fungible tokens for their communities. So I've been, you know, helping and just really passionate about using software and technology to uh, help people um, build these digital economies and uh, connect with people from all over the world and create real value in these these new virtual assets. Was there something along the way that kind of just clicked or some type of idea that was able to sort of convert into sort of this notion of super layer? What was the what was the aha moment? I mean, maybe you were out on your motorcycle, maybe you were out there surfing, <laughs> maybe you're out there hiking, you know. And, and congratulations on the on on the sale because now you can buy any motorcycle you want. So there's that. <laughs> Like was, it, was there was there something out there that you just were like, wow, this this is endless. I can I can help others do that. I mean, what was that? Well, there was probably three things that that converged. The first was building video games was uh, so much fun for me. But one of the the big things I was constantly frustrated about was the power that Apple, Google, and Facebook had over the ecosystem. And so when we built these games, we really needed to work within the terms of service and, and the way that these, these platforms uh, owned by a small number of tech companies uh, would basically set the rules. And so there's, you know, famously, when, when somebody buys a virtual asset in a game, Apple or Google or Facebook are taking 30% of that transaction. And they could change the rules whenever they want. And so one of the beauty, one of the things that I'm so passionate about Web3 is that when you build something on Ethereum or Solana or uh, some of these other public blockchains, the rules of the blockchain are set and they're not owned by a single company. They're really owned by the entire community of people that are contributing and running nodes and validators and mining, you know, these um, the blocks uh, for these, these blockchains. And so the first thing I was excited about was this idea of what a public blockchain is. And that means that there's, it's not owned by a single private company uh, or organization, but it's instead owned by a whole community of people. And, and there's nobody that's, that can set the rules for their own benefit at the expense of other people. And so how, how do we build on, on this new type of database, essentially, or this new type of information platform that allows uh, new players to, to come in and not just have extractive uh, platforms really own the entire you know, base? The second thing I was excited about was um, this idea of ownership. And to me, this you know, ownership and, and you know, having been lucky to be part of Silicon Valley, you know, if you're in the small group of people that uh, can start a company or invest in a private company and own shares in that company, great. You're part of one of the biggest wealth creations you know, in, in, in the modern times of all these new internet, uh, of all these new technology companies being created. But if you live in Indonesia, you live in you know, Taiwan, you go live, you know, you live in um, Africa, South America, you don't have access to you know, be a part of this incredible technology driven company, right? And buying, owning shares of Microsoft or, you know, maybe like 
you can you can buy some of the biggest technology companies through your brokerage in, in South America, but you can't really be a part of all the new startups in, in that this entire ecosystem. But Web3 enables ownership in such a way that if you're a part of, let's say, if you believed in Ethereum or you believed in Bitcoin, you believe in you know what Solana is building, you can participate in that. And you don't even have to buy it. You can just participate by saying, I'm going to run a node. Um, I'm going to help secure this blockchain. And so anybody in, anywhere in the world can really participate in this new technology trend and really own a piece of the platform in a way that's not possible and saying, you know, I want to own a piece of Google. Well, okay, yes, you can do that after they do their IPO, but you can't really do it early in the life cycle of some of these big technology platforms. Um, and so I think the, the third thing, uh, the third thing that I think is so compelling is that, you know, it, it, I mean, on the one hand, Web3 makes it, quote unquote, possible to own a piece of the platform anywhere in the world. But the reality is Web3 is difficult to use. So unless you've got a computer mm. science background or you know how to navigate some of these technology, it's really difficult to figure out what's going on in Web3. And, you know, there's, of course, lots of uh, bad actors that are promoting some, you know, snake, juice, snake oil or whatever, <laughs> you know, in Web3. And there's, there's of course, lots of that. Um, but then there, there's those real teams, incredibly talented um, teams and, and real companies that are building the next Google, the next Facebook, but they're doing it in Web3. And there's an opportunity for people all around the world to get to be a part of that. And so what I'm really passionate about is how do we help uh, bring real companies, real people into Web3 in a way that's um, you know, sustainable and here for the long term and is really driven by a mission that is greater than just turning a quick buck, but really using this <clears throat> new technology, this new business model to drive real benefits for, uh, for society. When I, when I think about, I think back to my coach, I was saying, uh, this is at the University of Michigan. Uh, Lloyd Carr always said, it's not about you, it's about something greater than yourself. And, and, and what you just, you know, just sort of spoke of allows the democratization of the internet and allow other people to be able to participate where, where did that thinking come from? I think, well, well my, my parents were immigrants to this country, so they, they immigrated to the United States right before I was born. And, you know, I, I think I had an immigrant mentality. So in reality, you know, we probably had enough money to, you know, we were sort of solidly middle class, if I were to guess. But, you know, my parents came out of the world, the, the civil war in China. So they, they lost every, their, their families lost everything. When they came to this country, they had less than a thousand dollars, um, and they really had to you know, figure things out. And I was born a year after they, they moved to the United States. And so I grew up with stories of what life was like in China growing up and just, you know, gosh, the basics and the, the just even getting basics like food and, and shoes and were not guaranteed. And mm. just this the American dream, I think, was such a big part of, of my childhood growing up of, Gosh, you could come here to America. You can work hard. You can go create your own business. You can own <clears throat> you can own that business, uh, or you could be, you know, you could own your your own house and, and property. These were these are like actually still novel concepts. That there's a lot of there's millions and millions of people in the world that don't have some of these things, mm -hmm. and <clears throat> and I think it's a uh, for me this idea of how you know I, I've benefited so much by being kind of in the right time in the right place and being lucky that I, I, I got to go to school in the Bay Area and, and get a technology job, you know, coming out of school uh, and be a part of, of, of this incredible uh, movement in the last couple of decades 
that's created a tremendous amount of, of wealth, but also a tremendous amount of, you know, real productive um, economy. And so how do we extend this to more and more people in the world? I really believe that Web3 and soft, you know, technology and specifically software is a way that millions of people can, can uh, earn a much more productive <clears throat> income and create a career for themselves. And they don't have to move to Silicon Valley anymore. You don't have to, you know, sort of move to San Francisco and so forth. You can be in wherever you are in the world and get a job in, in the, in the you know, technology world, especially in Web3 increasingly, and, uh, and contribute and also own a part of what's happening in the technology revolution. So with that, Kevin, so when, as you think about, you know, our mission here at Outside to get everybody out, outdoors and, you know, really participating in less screen time, what are some of the fitness projects or things in the Web3 space that you're excited about? And I'm also curious about, you know, you've recently joined the board of Candy um, and, you know, kind of the thinking around sports specifically and some parallels to how you might think about, you know, the outerverse. Let's talk about candy for a moment. Candy uh, is is about um, it, it's it's a subsidiary or started as a um, kind of a startup within Fanatics, which is kind of this bigger you know sports apparel uh, or merchandising and in, in, in apparel uh, company. And and the idea behind candy is in, in one part sort of going back to tops and sort of baseball card collectibles and just other merchandise and memorabilia from sports which is a very big market, you know, as we know, and, and this idea of collecting baseball cards, football cards, ba basketball player cards have been around for, for, for many, many decades um, at this point. And <clears throat> with NFTs and Web3 coming into the space, the idea was how do we take this, this thing that's been around for many decades and upgrade it into this, this new technology, essentially, of instead of buying paper-based um, card products, now you've got a virtual asset that's sitting on a public blockchain that um, represents uh, the, the same thing. And so I think that's a really, that's been a really exciting part of being a part of Candy, which is the, which is obtaining the rights to MLB and, and NASCAR and several other sports properties where you can see this idea of like really passionate sports fans be able to, to use digital technology and collect this, collect and trade uh, these sports memorabilia and moments that uh, are, are really valuable to that community. And so I think this idea with, with Candy of there's some IP, there's some rights, uh, which are intangible anyway, but those are now secured by, by public blockchain or Web3 blo you know, blockchain technology uh, is just a really exciting, innovative frontier that, um, that Candy is pushing forward in. And then I think, you know, as it relates to the outerverse, I really believe that Web3 uh, you know, like this idea of Web3 serving existing communities, I think is incredibly important. And so um, if you care about the, the outdoors, if you care about sustainability, environmental sustainability, and you care about <clears throat> um, being active, how do we harness that with the incredible community that's already at outside and mm. tap into this new technology that can really bring a whole global community together um, in a way that I think is really special. So with, without, with the Outerverse, um, this idea that um, you, could be, you could participate with brands that care about um, the outdoors, you could participate with uh, you know, people and personalities that care about the outdoors, 
these are really exciting things to tap into for the outerverse. So, Kevin, you know, and sort of following on to that question about Web3, you you have a ton of experience building, you know, really what's called play to earn platforms around gaming. And, you know, certainly, you know, I think together we believe that there's a lot of parallels in how that might be translated into what some people are calling move to earn. I like to I like to call it outdoors to earn, um, you know, and so maybe tell us a little bit about how you think about those parallels. For those of you that, for the listeners that are, are new to play to earn, the concept originates from this idea that when you play a video game and you contribute your time, your energy to the community, that's valuable, right? That's how some of these video game companies are worth tens of billions of dollars. And so what these uh, Web3 projects have done is say, hey, if you come and you play this game and you contribute to the game, you can earn some Web3 tokens or NFTs uh, by playing uh, these games and earning them. And and more recently, uh, uh, an application called Step In, S-T-E-P apostrophe N, has come out with this move to earn game. So the idea is you go buy these virtual sneakers and then you could use those virtual sneakers to prove that tied to your phone that you're moving uh, at a certain pace and then you can earn Web3 tokens. And it's, it's really captured uh, Asia by storm. So it's, it's very big in, in China and Japan and uh, throughout Southeast Asia. There's, of course, bigger, big user bases now in the United States and Europe uh, as well. Uh, but it's been incredibly successful. It was uh, had a market cap of uh, it has a market cap today of roughly eight billion dollars. So it's uh, become an incredibly valuable uh, whoa, economy whoa, whoa. in, eight, in just eight, the last eight billion dollars. Eight billion dollars. Yes. Even, even wait a minute. Wait crash. a minute. If I wait a minute, do you mean their token or the total market cap of the company? This is uh, the market cap of the token. No, it's six hundred million in Coinbase. I was I looked it up before. Oh, maybe we have an peak, official maybe at the Outerverse peak it was podcast worth billion. Maybe competition right now. Maybe it was at their peak. Hey, Kevin, get <laughs> yep. on your computer. Start <laughs> figuring out these numbers because Robin just challenged his guest. And I, as the co-host, now must mediate the competition between the two of you. I think we should actually come up with like a, a new like gaming concept where it's like <laughs> – media you know i don't know co-host competition so or something of, like that as of right now so th- this is another complicated thing and and this is one of the the inside baseball things in web3 yeah. you'll see um two different numbers that are associated with a lot of web3 projects oh see this one is good is, to know see right one is called the what we may just see is called the market cap or more specifically it means circulating market cap it means all the tokens that have been released what oh. is the market cap of just those tokens or circulating tokens? So that's why it's 600 million in Coinbase because there's only 10% of the tokens that have been released, which means that's it's correct. worth 6 billion right now. That's because correct, all- right. So as of today, it's trading right around $6 billion. Robin, I see you just showing I've off been your schooled. math skills. I've, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, I just, saw I, how, I just wait, learned wait. something new myself. Just say- see, I just learned. <laughs> Robin, you recovered rather well. But I knew when Kevin was <laughs> in his delivery that he was on the right track. And the way that you made up for that, Robin, with your math and how you just like quickly applied that is, is actually uh, fascinating. I'm a math guy. Why is there a difference? The difference, and it's not all attributed to this, but part of that difference is they've created a multi-year schedule where you can earn these tokens. 
And so the, the idea is that today, you know, right now in June, 10% of those tokens have been available for people to earn and, um, uh, and trade. And then that 90% of these tokens are still in the schedule to be released uh, over the next few years. But the, the overall market cap, when we talk about fully diluted market cap, generally refers to the entire token supply that's designed. Uh, and that's a, a more fulsome way to, to look at the and compare the valuations of different uh, projects with each other. So, so listeners, I hope you're learning. That's what this show's about. We want to help educate you about Web3. So I am hoping everyone picked this up. So when they're looking at Coinbase, look at the circulating supply as how much of the token is basically already in circulation versus those tokens that are not. Right. So how do they determine when to release the tokens, right? So if it's right now only 10% has been released, is it a schedule over the next five years? So the there's a market cap of potential or there's a market cap currently? How do you kind of contemplate that in real time mm -hmm. if it's yeah. yet to be realized? Yeah, time is this dimension that all Web3 projects uh, sort of you know, deal with. So you'll hear, for example, going to Bitcoin, the original Web3 project, you'll hear often that there's only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoin in circulation. But that's not how many Bitcoin is available today. Right now, the, I actually don't know the exact answer to this. I would guess something like 19 uh, million Bitcoin are in circulation right now. Yeah, I'm going to look it up. Um, yeah, right now, 19.1 million Bitcoin is in circulation out of the 21 billion or million that will ever be available. Right. So there's this concept of, of time as a dimension to, to Bitcoin and with step in or for, you know, other projects, you sort of designed this idea that you can earn these tokens. The, the ownership of these tokens will not be determined at the outset. The ownership of these tokens uh, is distributed to people who are participating, who are earning, who are doing things to contribute to the project. And that's one of the way that I think that's one of the things that's so special about Web3 is that you can you don't have to, you know, just be an employee of a big tech company to earn, you know, options or earn shares in that company anymore. You can actually earn these tokens that represent ownership in this project by doing things um, that each of these projects design. So that, that's kind of the major difference between circulating supply and the fully diluted supply. So not to go down a big rabbit hole, but I'm just curious, like uh, today, Japan announced that they're going to re regulate these these you know, stable coins. Um, how do you think about that in terms of like just Web3 in general and something like Stepin or some of the play to earn games um, if those tokens are, spe you know, specifically regulated by governments? I, I think what we're going to see in, in it's uh, governments all over the world, not just Japan. And certainly Japan has, has made an announcement, uh, but we've seen Janet Yellen and uh, others in the United States talk about stable coins. So you're going to see, I think you're going to see stable coin regulations come up much sooner in the marketplace. Uh, this, and, and this idea that if you claim that a, a token can be redeemed for a US dollar or for a yen or for you know, Korean won or something like that, that governments are going to say, well, you're, you're making that promise that that coin can be redeemed for the equivalent um, government-backed money. And, uh, and we're going to regulate that. And I think that that's, that's clearly going to be an area that governments all around, the major governments all around the world um, are, are going to care about. Um, 
And uh, so I, I think we're going to see different spaces of Web3 be regulated in, in very different ways. Uh, stable coins probably being one of the first things is that, you know, if you promise that you can redeem a token for a government-backed piece of money, that you there's actual real, real regulations behind that. And I think that's that's really healthy for the system. Um, and I think what's, you know, exchanges are clearly being targeted for regulations, and that's obviously good as well. Um, and then I think some of these more, um, you know, these projects that are very uh, focused on some piece of utility or a game or something, these are these are not yet being talked about from a regulatory standpoint. But I, I would expect in the next you know, 10 years, there's some sort of oversight um, around a lot of this stuff because we're really pushing the boundaries of innovation. And I think on the one hand, it's great that, you know, we can say, hey, we're going to build a project around getting people outside and healthy and experiencing the outdoors and that we don't have to go, you know, apply for a license yet to, to go launch the project. But on the other hand, when you sort of say, hey, you know, I've built a $40 billion project that is a stablecoin project and I'm promising that my money can be redeemed for a U.S. dollar or a Japanese yen, mm. there probably should be regulations around that sooner than mm. later. So it's it's a we're, we're in a very um, it, we're in a world where we're seeing crypto and Web3 become bigger and bigger and having more and more of an impact. And then when we have some some notable failures in the system. You know, consumers are asking for government protection, and rightfully so. So mm. I think it's going to be a trade-off over the next few years as we navigate that together. And I want to make sure that if I go out there and run a marathon, then I'm able to redeem that, right? I want to make sure that I'm able to <laughs> All that impact that I put on my knees, I want to make sure I'm able to sort of realize, uh, realize we'll, some we'll, of my we'll make, uh, we'll make sure my to We'll make sure to reward you with some new running shoes, Tahani. Don't worry. Don't Thank worry. you. I, I I appreciate that. You know, as a as a former player, you know, sometimes my knees and hips, I just need those good shoes. So, um, so thank you for the soon to be regulation. Anyways, so you know, I'm, I'm just I'm just curious, Kevin. You know, what what is it about you know this blockchain technology, smart contracts? So as I was kind of thinking about it, in decentralized communities that really appeals to you, and you know, and people always ask the question, why is it? Better to build on Web three, in your opinion, versus like Web two. In this analogy, may or may not make sense if you if you're not in the the broader software you know space. But um, you know, everyone who builds software requires you know using a database, and a database is just where you store a bunch of information. And typically, these databases are sitting. There's a single company that owns it, and. The best case, the, the the best examples of this are Google and Facebook. Let's say so. You put all this information into your Facebook profile. You create some posts. You upload your images or your photos. That's all sitting on a let's say a Facebook server or a Google server, and they can kind of do whatever they want with it. They can change the terms mm -hmm. of service. They can they can they can take all the information and mine it and sell it to advertisers. And you sort of as a user are um, where you get a free service, which is the generally been the, the promise, you know, in that case. But I think we've realized uh, now that that information, that data is so incredibly important and valuable. And that instead of all of that being monetized by a single company, you know, how do you have that information sit on what we call a public database or a database that is really, um, there's, there's anybody in the world can say, I want to actually host all this information and validate this information uh, that's really what, what Web3 is about, is creating these public databases where anybody can put information onto the database. 
and, and anybody else in the world can, can read that. So for example, if you go earn that NFT or you go buy that NFT, there's millions of computers all around the world that say, you know what, Robin is the owner of this NFT right now. And, mm. and anybody in, you know, can verify that piece mm. of information on a public blockchain. And so the ownership uh, is really where um, data needs to be public and needs to be transparent instead of just sitting on one company's servers, right? So if, if Robin's NFT, if that ownership of the NFT was just uh, sitting on Facebook's server, and Facebook said, oh, guess what, Robin? You actually, tomorrow, you don't own this NFT anymore. We're going to change all the rules. We're going to take all the NFTs back. And they could do that, right? But when, when people build on Web3, that's not possible from a technology standpoint. And I know this is, you know, sounds probably a little esoteric to a lot of you know, people about who really owns property. But if you really think about sort of you know, the land or the house that you own or you know, the, uh, the, you know, your, your, your ownership of anything that you personally care about, if somebody could come and just take that away from you, hmm. that, then you don't really have ownership of that anymore. Hmm. And so in a digital realm, all of that ownership has really sat in a very small number of companies sort of databases and thus they can actually change that data and do whatever they want to that data. And Web3 is all about taking all of that information and putting it into a public space where millions and millions of people or anybody can sort of read that information and also write to that information. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I mean, in some ways, I, I don't think people realize how much control five companies have. But when you think about the fact that those five companies, well, up until very recently, were 50% of the market cap of the S&P 500, you just realize how much power sits with those companies and the data that they sit on and their ability to sort of change things at any minute. So, you know, when you think about, like, obviously, we, we're spending all of our time talking about the outerverse and over here at outside and how we kind of think about engaging and rewarding people around, um, you know, the future. But like, Kevin, over here at outside, we spend all of our time talking about the outerverse and how to engage people in getting outdoors and thinking about sustainability and other things. But I'm curious from your perspective, what do you think are the most important things that we have to do to make the outerverse successful in partnership with Superlayer? I think the I think there's there's a few points here. The first is make it really easy for people who really care about the mission to participate and be, join join the outerverse uh, and outside media on its journey. So easy for consumers to understand. I do A and I get B, and and I, I go outdoors and I do something um, that uh, I care about, and then I I'm part of this community somehow. The second. Um, is real ownership in that. So how can I earn? How can I earn something? How can I own something? You know, in this outerverse uh, concept, um, do I really own it? How do, how can I trade with other people that also own their digital assets um, and passports that uh, are, are being uh, part of this and be a part of this community? And then the third, uh, which probably one of the things I'm most excited about for the outerverse is build a whole community of brands and personalities and other people that really care about this and want to go on this journey. So if I see that uh, this is a uh, community where it's uh, you know, bike manufacturers and uh, apparel manufacturers and other you know, brands that I care about and believe in that I know are authentic to this journey and this mission are all part of this movement, I want to be a part of that. I want to uh, join that community. I think these are these are some of the things that I think we can we can we can do to really uh, catalyze this uh, mission that we're on. Well, you already got some personalities right here, including myself. So 
we are moving along and Kevin, it's just awesome yeah. to, to hear from you and all of your different ideas and all the ways that you're thinking about it. And really, I think the most important thing is really the origination of some of the ways that you're thinking that actually add value to the way that you're creating and the way that we're working together. So really appreciate that. And, you know, I was going to, you know, thinking about the last question, your crystal ball, one, five, 10 years from now, where are we? What are we doing? You know, am, am I actually realizing, you know, my my many marathons and my many cycling competitions and my many surf competitions because I'm outside? You know, what's what what does it look like in the next um, upcoming decade? Well, I, I think what's I think in the next decade um, we're going to see a lot of things kind of like the outerverse where. I do something that I'm really passionate about. I'm with this other community of, of global people. And there's a way to identify and connect with all the other people in that community and to share ownership in, in something. I, I think the era of, hey, I'm going to build a big tech company and I'm going, to, you know, I'm going to take all the ownership of the data and assets and nobody else can, and I'm going to maintain this kind of private moat that nobody else can be a part of unless they pay us as a company to be a part of that. I think that's, uh, I think there's a different way of thinking. Web3 is about how do you give ownership uh, away as much as possible um, hmm. to a community of people who care about that thing. And, you know, with, with what, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum and some of these like really groundbreaking innovative projects, it's really proved out that the more people that you bring into the community that truly care about that, that vision, the more valuable that the whole community becomes. Um, and that's just a weird concept uh, traditionally, but in Web3 and the global kind of world that we live in, the more that you get a community of people who care um, and want to participate, the more valuable that that community becomes. So with that, I mean, I love totally that. Could, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, mean, I, I really. How about that answer? That's like yeah. the best answer I've heard. It's amazing. <laughs> My mind is blown. I mean, I've learned so much today. It's it's crazy. <laughs> you know, we we like to do what's called outside the box questions right at the end, Kevin. So two quick ones. If you're having guests over for dinner, what are you cooking these days? I, I, I you know, partly for health, partly for environmental. Uh, I'm trying to eat more vegetarian. And so I think uh, if, if we had guests over, they'd probably be getting uh, chili. You know, I've got a mean uh, chili stew that uh, that we make. Nice, um, nice. Wait, wait, wait. This is a vegetarian chili, All right? Vegetarian. Real, real quick, is there a special <laughs> ingredient that you put in the vegetarian chili in order to kind of make it pop? And then I'm going to ask the last question because I actually love this question. Uh, well, right. So we, we have two different spices uh, that we use. One's a kind of a Chinese, you know, spice, which I, I'm not even quite sure what the English is. And of course we, we use lots of cumin and onions. I, you know, that's like, that's a secret. Yum. All right. All right. Fair enough. Robin, before you close it out, I got to ask this question because, you know, I'm a big fan of um, animated movies because they actually make me cry. <laughs> um, you know, Moana, Encanto. Uh, I mean, all these movies just make me cry. I don't know what it is. It's just maybe something, my sensitive side. You're okay? such a softie. I am just a little softie. bit of a softie. All right, so Kevin, all right. What's the last movie that made you cry? And then Robin, you, you can close this out. I, last movie that made me cry. 
You know, Saving Private Ryan. I know that's an oldie. Whoa, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Good one. You just took it way back. That was, that was, <laughs> was, like, that movie, I was just bawling my eyes out. So I know that wasn't a recent one, but just, like, when you said watching something that made me cry, I, Saving Private Ryan was, was that movie for me. I love it. I love what, what, it. What can I, I can't say anything else. <laughs> I, I can't say anything. Well. With, with that, as a finish, Kevin, one, we just really appreciate the time here on the Outerverse podcast. And so good to see you, as always, my friend. Um, and, you know, here's to the Outerverse. No, oh, thanks for having me on. It's so fun to be on here with you guys. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening. The Outerverse podcast is an outside interactive production with hosts Robin Thurston and Dahani Jones. The producer and sound engineer is Kirk Warner. Scheduling by Adrian Paulson. To learn more about all we are doing in the Outerverse and to sign up for the Outerverse Passport, head to outside.io. Have a great week and get outside.